Hello, this is Ahuka coming to you again on Hack Republic Radio, and I'm going to start a little series here. I, I don't know exactly. It might be three, four different programs. We'll, we'll see as we go through this. But uh, I want to talk about the, what we do in what we call the free software. Sometimes it's uh, FOSS. Sometimes it's FLOSS. Uh, that uh, Linux is considered to be a part of, as well as many other things. FreeBSD is uh, certainly in this community, and many applications that we use. Uh, and when we talk about freedom, what do we mean exactly? Well, there's, there's uh, a number of things. Uh, the topic of free software, I think you really have to start with Richard Stallman. Uh, you have to start with the Free Software Foundation, uh, which... Uh, I happen to be a member of, and, and I know some other people around here are also members of the Free Software Foundation. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's very important. Uh, this all started uh, way back in uh, like the 1970s and, and 80s when, when all of this was starting to come together. Uh, Richard Stallman was working at uh, MIT, and he had a, uh, a program. Uh, it was a printer thing that he was working on. Uh, and the printer was just not working properly on the network, and the people he was supporting were complaining about it. So he wrote to the manufacturer and said, please send me the source code for this printer so that I can fix it um, and get everything working properly. And the printer manufacturer said, uh, no, we're not going to do that. We own that code, and we're not going to share it with you. Well... That is the beginning of everything that we're talking about in the free software community. Uh, so what did Stallman do? He said, well, you know, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong in the idea that people are not allowed to access the software that they need to use every day. They're not allowed to access that code. They're not allowed to do anything with it. And so he started uh, what is now the free software movement. And he looked at it and said, what we need is something equivalent to Unix, and, um, but something that is free. It's not controlled by anyone. Uh, Unix at that time was owned by at and It's gone through a number of iterations since then. But, you know, it was originally developed at the Bell Labs. Uh, we probably know that Ken Thompson and Dennis Ritchie uh, were working on that back in the 1970s. Uh, and, you know, that came got released. Um, but it was owned by AT&T. They wanted to sell it. They wanted to make money. They controlled it. Uh, Richard Stallman said, nah, let's get away from that. Let's get something that, that we control and that can be free. Now, uh, an operating system like Unix is very complicated. Uh, Stallman decided that he was going to start by developing all of the tools that he knew were going to be necessary. So you, uh, you would have to have a text editor of some kind. And so he started, uh, he and, his, and the people who worked with him, started developing Emacs. Um, he said, you know, you're going to have to be able to compile the code you develop. So he started writing compilers. And so he was building all of the toolkit necessary and he had just about gotten to the point of thinking, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start work on the kernel, which was called HURD, H-U-R-D. And uh, 
right around that point, Linus Torvalds starts what became Linux as a college student in Finland. Uh, now, when Linus Torvalds did that, Linux was the kernel. Some people would say it still is. I, I don't want to get into the semantic argument about what we mean when we use the word Linux. Uh, but uh, he didn't worry about developing the text editors, the compilers, and all of this other stuff because it had already been done. And he was able to make use of what Stallman had developed to help develop Linux. And in a way, that's a, that's a great example of what we mean by free software. Uh, now, after initially releasing under a slightly different uh, license, uh, Linus Torvalds turned around and released it under the GPL. And he has said consistently, it's the best thing he ever did was to release the source code to the Linux kernel under GPL. And GPL is something that also comes from the Free Software Foundation, Richard Stallman, Eben Moglen, all of those wonderful folks uh, who wrote this license. Now, what do we mean by freedom in this sense? And, and Stallman defines this very carefully as the four freedoms. Uh, freedom zero is the freedom to run the program for any purpose. So, okay, well, why, why is that different right now? Well, if you read a, a EULA, uh, uh, the uh, license that uh, most proprietary software comes under, you discover that, uh, you know, they may limit what you can do with the software. Right? So uh, we just had an example just a few days ago, as I'm recording this, with Apple that uh, they developed this software that can be used to create textbooks. And in the license, it says, if you plan to sell the product that you make with this software, you must sell it through Apple. And then Apple can take their cut, etc. cetera. Uh, and a lot of people are kind of upset about all of that. So, I mean, that software, you don't always get the right to use it the way you want to. And that's a problem. So Freedom Zero says... Uh, you know, I can take any piece of software and run it for whatever purpose I want to use it for. So that's freedom zero. Uh, why do we start with zero? Well, you know, people who are mathematicians will always start with zero. It's the only intelligent thing to do. Now then, the next one is freedom one. And uh, freedom one, according to the Free Software Foundation, is the freedom to study how the program works and change it so it does your computing as you wish. Well, that's exactly the problem that Stallman had with that printer driver. And then they note that in order to do that, you have to have access to the source code. That's a necessary precondition. You can't study how the program works and change it if you do not have the source code. So when we talk about open source software, that's just another way of saying it is software for which the source code is freely available. Now, I don't want to say that open source and free software are identical, because I don't believe they are. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, but uh, th this is clearly one of those places where they're both talking the same language, access to the source code. Then. Uh, number three is freedom two, and that is the freedom to redistribute copies so you can help your neighbor. All right? So with this kind of software, 
you have completely legally the right to give someone a copy of the software. Say, here, you know, this will solve your problem. Take it. Use it. We're not talking about piracy here. Uh, whatever, you know, that happens to mean. That's a very complicated problem that certain people are trying to make very, very simple. Uh, and it isn't. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about software that the, the people who write the software are saying, hey, go ahead, take it, use it, um, you know, give it to people. We're cool with that. We have legally given you the right to do that. So that's freedom two. Then freedom three, which is the fourth of the four freedoms. Zero, one, two, three. Freedom three. Freedom to distribute copies of your modified versions to others. And by doing this, you can give the whole community a chance to benefit from the changes you make. And again, we note that access to the source code becomes a precondition, all right? You can't modify if you don't have the source code. And when you give it to others, you need to give them the source code as well. So those are the four freedoms. And that's what we mean when we talk about free software. That really should be what we mean by it. Now, the problem is, when we use the word free, free has different meanings. So, free can mean free as in freedom. Um, there's a fellow named Bradley Kuhn who has been, is uh, kind of the chief enforcer of the, the GPL license, the free software license. And he is a great supporter of that. He's now the executive director at the Software Freedom Conservancy, which is an organization that makes a lot of uh, makes it easy for a lot of projects to uh, collect donations and and put the money to good use uh, the very useful thing that we'll talk about in another part of this series i'm sure uh, and bradley coon has a podcast called the free is in freedom podcast so if you're interested in that sort of thing you might want to check out his podcast and you can find that at faif.us that's the URL. I've also got that in the show notes. So that's free as in freedom. We, we also talk about free as in beer. Uh, as in, well, you know, free beer is beer you didn't have to pay for. Right? What we call free software frequently is free in this sense as well, but it doesn't have to be. There is nothing in the four freedoms that says you cannot charge money or ask for money or anything financial. It's not part of the concept here. Uh, now, if you are freely giving the source code to people, there is an argument that says, well, then they could just compile it and run it, and it doesn't matter if you're trying to charge, they can just rip you off. Well, uh, have you ever noticed that uh, even commercial software People rip that off all the time. So I, I'm not sure that that's a really compelling argument. Um, in fact, uh, you know, if you go to the crack and wares sites and all of that, that's probably easier than for most people than actually getting the source code and compiling it. You actually have to have three or four brain cells working to do that sometimes. Um, so these are the, the two things. Now, one of the things that occurs to me as, I, as I've been thinking about this over time if you have to explain what you mean by free when you talk about free software, you just might have a problem. So, 
that's why I, I call this freedom is not free. Uh, let's explore what we mean by that, okay? Uh, in the free software community, you have uh, a lot of developers, programmers, whatever term you want to use, who do wonderful work. But all of us have bills to pay, families to support. Um, so, you know, the, somehow or other, money has to flow to the people who are doing this work if that's what they're relying on. Um, and so in a lot of cases, you have people who are developers who are on the payroll of a company, but the company says, we want you to work on this free software. Right? So uh, you have people from Red Hat who are working on the kernel. Red Hat is a, one of the major contributors. I think last time I saw they were the largest contributor to the kernel. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's an example of that. Other companies, IBM has developers assigned to free software projects. Uh, Google has developers assigned to free software projects. So that's one of the ways it happens. Sometimes people do it uh, as a hobby in their spare time. Uh, and so maybe they're not quite as reliant. Uh, on the finance, but, but that's something we do want to talk about. Now, we talked about open source versus free, um, and that's an interesting problem as well, because uh, open source is based on access to the source code, and in some cases that's extremely important. Uh, if you were a, a company and you were relying on, let us say, database software to manage your business, uh, you would not want to be at the whim of someone who doesn't let you take a look at any of the code. I mean, that just, that's kind of silly. So, uh, you, you know, in a case like that, you probably have people on your staff who understand the code, and if they have access to it, they can maintain it, they can adapt it to your use, etc. But what about the home user? Um, does the home user really care? Um, and, you know, I said this once at a lug meeting, and I almost got lynched. Uh, you know, every, any number of people got incensed. People are talking about, you wouldn't buy a car if the hood was welded shut and, and all of this. And, and what I was trying to say, and maybe I just said it really poorly, is say, what is the motivation of your average, you know, hey, I got a computer, I want to surf the web, uh, you know, I want to... Uh, Twitter, I want to go to Facebook, I want to read my email, um, you know, I, I want to look at videos on YouTube. Yeah, your average home user, does your average home user want to look at the source code? And, uh, and my argument is, uh, generally speaking, no. Uh, I, I take a look at myself, all right? I, I think I've said before, I am not a programmer. I like programmers, I admire programmers, I'm grateful for the work they do, I'm just not one of them. And you could put the source code in front of me and it might as well be Greek, because I wouldn't have the faintest idea what to do. So access to the source code is not a big thing for me personally. Uh, I, I, I'm glad it's available. I understand it's important that it's available so that people who do understand source code can get in there and take care of things. But it's, it's not at the top of my list of things. So I, I think when we talk about free software, we have a, a great deal of ambiguity about what we mean by the word free that causes problems. When we talk about open source, we're talking about something that kind of goes over most people's heads. 
I want to say something a little different. I'd like to refer to the software we use as community-supported software because I think that really gets at the heart of it. It's not software that is supported by a profit-making company that is going to hang on to the code tightly, uh, restrict who can see it, and, you know, we're going to sell this and we're going to make money, and, you know, if you try and take a look at the source code, we will sue you into uh, oblivion and all of that. Uh, no, we're talking about software that is supported by a community. And I think if you do that, you start to understand that, well, who's the community? We are. All of us are. We are all part of this community. And I think that means that if we put any value on this software at all, we have to put a value on our support of it. We need to support the software in various ways. Now, I've come up with four ways that I can think of and you know, golly, if, if there's stuff I'm missing, please let me know because I'd, I'd love to include all of that. So what are the four things that I can think of? Well, the first thing is uh, submitting bugs. I, I want to, that's a topic I want to explore in some detail in a subsequent uh, uh, recording, but uh, you know, that's an important thing and anyone can do that. It doesn't cost you any money. It does cost you a little bit of time, but uh, you know, if you have a problem with a piece of software, no software is perfect. Um, you know, just because it's uh, open source or free software, I, you know, I think that software is, is of excellent quality. But every software, there's going to be bugs. And so it, it really is a help. And, and developers, you talk to developers, what they always say is, boy, you know, if you just give us information about bugs, we could probably do something about fixing them. They really want that. So that's the first one. Second one, documentation. Right? I, I, this is one that uh, I, I would have to say software in general is poorly documented. Uh, O'Reilly has made a, a, a living out of a whole series of things called, you know, insert name of software here, the missing manual. <laughs> okay? And that's generally about commercial software where you would think maybe the company might actually have an incentive to produce decent documentation. They just, they don't tend to these days, right? Uh, with open source software projects, we need much better documentation. That's another topic I want to come back to in a subsequent recording here. Uh, the third one I want to mention is financial support, okay? Uh, you know, there, it does take money to run these projects, to help support the developers, etc. If it's a piece of software you use a lot, and you know there's a donation button on the the web page, you know, give them five or ten bucks. Come on, uh, I mean it's the only. Assuming you have the money to do this, and like I say, five or ten bucks, most of us could come up with that once in a while to help support some of these things. Uh, so. I want to come back and I want to talk about financial support and, and some of the different options there. And uh, finally, uh, I'm calling this advocacy. Um, maybe there's a better name for it. But if you get involved in, for instance, a Linux users group in your area, uh, get involved in some of the uh, free software related um, 
events that are going on. Like I'm, uh, I'm involved with Ohio Linux Fest, and I'm sure that's going to come up as we go ahead. Uh, these are all things you can uh, record a podcast for, you know, record something for Hacker Public Radio. I mean, these are all ways of making a contribution. And that's really what we're talking about here, is making that contribution. So what I'd like to say uh, in closing is that uh, if you use this software, if you value this software, if this software is important to you, if you would say, gee, my life would be poorer if I didn't have access to this stuff, if I didn't have access to Linux, if I didn't have access to, well, you know, I'm recording this podcast on Audacity, you know, Audacity is important to me, uh, whatever it may be support it in one way or another or maybe some combination of them you know submit some bugs help with the documentation throw them a few bucks uh you know maybe uh do a presentation on them at your linux users group uh try and get some word out you know all of these are ways you can do it and i think the more that all of us get involved in helping with all of these things in making it a community project the better all of us are going to be so, this has been Ahuka, and I'm going to sign off now, and thank you all for listening to my little podcast. Bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.